Welcome to According to Flint, the innovative podcast reaching beyond the Western demographic with stories, humor, and interviews. Now, here's your host, Flint Rasmussen. Oh, welcome to another episode of According to Flint and sticking with a passion of mine, as everyone knows and gets tired of me talking about music, such a part of my life, and and we are all honored to have a guy that's he's a Grand Ole Opry member, 14 number one hits, a Grammy Award winner, and as I like to say, as we go down life's highway, it's inevitable oh, that, yeah. that some fools never learn, and hopefully <laughs> I'm already taken. I could do it all day. Yeah, I could do that all day. <laughs> the one and only Mr. Steve Warner. How, you know, oh, we do well, appreciate it, Steve, very much. Well, my pleasure, man. My pleasure. Glad to be on and with you, and uh, that's cool how you did that. I hope you had a had some fun for the weekend last week well i did and and learned that (laughs) older women make good lovers i mean you know lonely women uh, lonely women (laughs) older women that's uh i think it's the same maybe it's the same yeah who was older women that was a song oh no that was ronnie mcdowell that's right that's right he definitely had that was a big hit yeah that's right oh yeah we can be on i've been hearing about you ned my buddy Ned Ledoux told me all about you and Mark Wills, and we got a lot of mutual friends. Um, you know, Ned, he is just, you know, he was on a few episodes ago, and I do got to ask, you, do you have the painted skull that he gave could, you as a gift? I could take you right to it. It's right in, I'm out in my studio. Yeah. I walk across the driveway, open that back door and look to the right and it's sitting right there. I got it right there. And uh, I wouldn't take anything for that baby. So yeah, he, he sent me that and what a gift. He's a sweetheart guy and a talented dude, man. I think, and I could tell you some stories. He and my oldest son, Ryan were, they played in a band and they were, they lived together. So they were, I'm sure Ryan's got lots of stories he can tell on Ned, but, but, uh, oh, I love Ned Ledoux. He's the best. He, uh, he said that was one of his first ones. So it was a little rough that he'd like <laughs> to redo he it. He'd like to redo it, but he I'll said, send it back to him. He could redo it. And, you know, <laughs> no, it's, I think it's absolutely awesome. And, uh, I, when I opened that the day, I remember opening it and going, wow, that's interesting. I've never had one of those sent to me before. And it's all <laughs> painted and beautifully done. And, uh, it was really a treat to, for him, you know, to get that from Ned. And, and his dad was a, I knew his dad a little little bit, not really well, not yeah. as well as I knew Ned, but I was around him and uh, did a couple shows with him and knew him some, yeah. uh, Chris Ledoux, of course. And, but uh, I didn't get to know him as, w- as well as I'd like to have known him. He was an interesting guy and uh, I knew him a little bit, but he was a brilliant artist, as you well know, I'm sure. Yeah, and we we all who grew up in the rodeo business like I did, my dad was a, a rodeo announcer, and every oh, really? tape that he played before a rodeo was Chris Ledoux. So I never met oh, yeah. Chris Ledoux, oh, but yeah. we all felt, every, everybody in the rodeo world takes ownership of Chris Ledoux. Yeah. He's like the standard of true cowboy music. He's a real cowboy. I mean, he's not joking. He wasn't joking around. It was, yeah. you know, and you, you, I, every time I was around him, which wasn't a lot, but when I was around him, I watched him close. Cause I kept thinking, and I think a lot of people probably did this, but you're watching going like, he's going to get out of character at some point. And you go, 
oh, this isn't a character. No, it's not. This really is. He's, this is really him. He's not playing you know, a part. Yeah. He's not joking around. This yeah. is really him, you know. And I and uh, I, I love that about him. And I think Ned's the same way. They're cut from the completely. same cloth, Completely. So um, Ned is who he is, and I love that. And I tell you who else talk about rodeo announcers. You know who's uh, the artist Brian White. Oh, uh, a big his fan. His grandfather yeah. was a Oklahoma City. His grandfather was a rodeo announcer. No kid. Brian White's was. Brian White. I did, yeah, I did he's not got know a that. Record. He's got a record about uh, his grandfather. I'll have to. I'll get it to you, uh, Flint, because he's got a. He recorded a uh, a song called Dust Bowl Dreams. He wrote a song about Oklahoma, the mm -hmm. Dust Bowl, and he's actually got a clip. And the, it starts off with his dad announcing, here he comes out of shoot number two. No he's kidding. riding, you know, and he's going through all the stuff. Uh, and you can hear the rodeo sounds mm -hmm. and takes you back, you know, and it's his yeah. grandfather. And then he goes into the song, Dust Bowl Dreams. And uh, so that's kind of cool. I did not know that. That's interesting. I, yeah, I, yeah. I do got to give you full disclosure on my part. I'm going to get this out of the way early on. <clears throat> when I became a fan of Steve Warner, I remember the day I'm at home in Shoto, Montana. And I think it was Shoto. mid, mid eighties, mid eighties. And I think I'm watching like hee haw. Yeah. And here comes Steve Warner. And listen, I'd love to tell you it was about the song you sang. I'd love to tell you some deeper thing. All I remember, I said to my mom, I want that hair. I want, <laughs> <laughs> Mom, hey, I hey, want that haircut. Hey, Flint, I want that hair at this point. You know? I, know. <laughs> hey, I always uh, I tell people I've got five head now instead of four heads. Uh, you know? But well, uh, but oh, that guy, that's funny. That is hilarious. Right here, and just so you know, I did, and I I could show you all my pictures from late high school, oh, yeah. early college. Oh, yeah. I had oh, that yeah. hair, and I rocked it. I yes, mean, I, thank you yes. for the inspiration. Oh man, yeah. I'll tell you, I had kind of, the, I call it the, I had, I sort of had the, the baby mullet. I didn't have a real, I didn't have like a Joe Diffie no. mullet or a Traps Tritt. Right. It, know, it's a bi-level. We used to call it a bi-level. Oh, that's, oh, I love that. You know, yeah. I remember I used to go, it's funny. I haven't, I have, this is stuff I've never talked about anywhere. So <laughs> you're getting the scoop on this one, Flint. But I remember going to a girl here in Nashville on Music Row that, I started going to a new hair, hair girl back in those days. And I was really impressed because she, the two of her other clients were Conway Twitty and she did a lot of celebrities obviously, but she did, I was an early young guy, you know, just starting to have hits and her, her, her shop was right across the corner from RCA, which I was on RCA. It was right across Caddy corner from where Chet Atkins office was there. And it was RCA and all that. And I used to cut, records well her shop was right across the corner <clears throat> and uh she did uh she cut com she did conway twitty's really perm mm, thing and she did yeah. and then when uh when porter wagner went to his from the pompadour to the real tight curl thing she oh, was yeah. the one she was the architect of all that so i was like yeah i'm in good company <laughs> and i never will forget saying can you leave it a little oh, longer in the back right you know? there Right there. Yeah, so they, that really made my day right there. Yeah, it had to hang out my football <laughs> helmet. See, that was that was the key. I love it. Um, I love that. You know, you you talked about your son uh, and Ned, Ned and your son, and Ned did tell me about that playing in a band together. 
My girl, yeah. I have two daughters that, that are very oh, musical man. and they're in rodeo. They're on the rodeo team at Montana State. But to me, there's no greater thing I'm proud of that makes me beam than they're very musical. And wow. I feel like I played a role in passing that along. There's something about passing music along. And I know your dad passed it on to you. Yeah, yeah no doubt. There's, there's such a connection with music that it does for a family and passing that on. It's just in your blood. It's probably like the rodeo world, I'm sure, yeah. the same way. You grow up around it. That's all you know. You live live it, breathe it. Uh, and I did that with music. You know, my dad, my dad was one of 12 kids and uh, lived in rural, poor, poor, rural uh, South Central Kentucky. And my mom was from the next holler, right over the hollers. He was from there. And they met when they were kids. And and my dad was one of 12 kids. He left home when he was 17 to join the Navy. I think to get the hell out of that area, <laughs> yeah. get away from 12, 11 siblings, you know, but he joined the Navy and was in, found himself in Shanghai, China. And when he was 17, told him he was 19 or whatever. But anyway, uh, this would be about 1946, 45, 46, right at the end of the war. But my dad was all of his brothers. I bring that up because all of his brothers and even some of his sisters, they all played music. You know, his mom, my dad, I never knew his mom very well. I barely remember her, my grandmother, but I was told that she played guitar and played fingerstyle, you know, played like a fingerstyle guitar and Mother Maybell kind of could play really well. That's my grandmother. And then my dad's dad was a fiddler. My dad was a fiddler, you know, he's an old Kentucky fiddler, but he, as I was growing up, my oldest brother was born in Kentucky. Then my dad moved to Indiana to find work, which is a common story of that area, you know, the south, that part of Kentucky. A lot of people went north to Ohio or north to Indiana, Michigan, to the car industries, the car manufacturers, and to find work, you know. And my dad and a bunch of his brothers wound up around Indianapolis, suburbs of Indianapolis. And I wound up, my dad started playing with a lot of players and musicians from that er area and used to have bands and play at our house and my dad would play out at american legions and stuff and it wasn't long till about little 10 year old steve was playing out <laughs> with my dad you yeah. know i was playing with him and i knew the stuff as well as he'd practice at our house their band would every once a week and uh, my dad had a regular job he worked in a foundry hard job you know he worked in a foundry and, and uh, uh, later had a more cushy job there but worked there for about almost 20 years, but had an injury there too, by the way. But anyway, he, he would play on the weekends. They would practice at our house for their weekend gigs. And before long, one of the, one time the bass player couldn't make it. And I said, dad, I know I'm 10, you know, whatever I go, dad, I know all the stuff. I know it. I could play with you right now. And he goes, he looked at me puzzled and said, are you sure? And I go, so I went out in the, I've been playing in the bedroom through the wall with them, you know, practicing and knew all their stuff. So I went out and played with him and my dad took me out to play that weekend with him and I never looked back. I played with my dad all the time. My oldest brother did some on and off too. And so it was really fun to play with my dad out, you know, and play. My uncle Jimmy, had a, my dad's youngest brother, was more like an older brother to me. Mm -hmm. He was a young, good looking guy, single that when I was young, he was, you know, around this time, like 10, 11, he was still single, but he was a, 
looked like a movie star and he played he had new brand new fender guitars and amps and <laughs> i was like oh my god i want to be jimmy you know i want i want to be him uncle jimmy <laughs> he was great he played twangy tellies and huh. you know was uh, wars fancy suits and it's like oh, i want to be him and i later played in a couple of bands with him i it, it there's a part of me that uh, i know that when i was a kid my my older brother and sister played guitar and we'd just sing even now you know, uh, my nieces and nephews all play and we get together in the yard and play. It worries me that doesn't happen enough. And I know there's a lot oh, of man. things in society right now that we worry don't happen enough. But I think music, even the music programs, that was a big part of, I was an athlete, but in music too. And I just worry kids yeah. don't, they're not getting that at home and their personalities aren't strong enough to gravitate that way. Just the whole culture yeah. i i worry about music. i believe you i agree with you on that it don't it don't happen often like it used to i don't think and i truly this is no joke on this i remember going to some of my friends at that age you know when you're in grade school and when you start having sleepovers and you start branching out to other people's homes your your pals through grade school third grade fourth grade whatever i remember going to my friends houses and going where's all the guitars <laughs> Was yeah. the amps and guitars because I thought yeah. everybody, I truly thought everybody did like us, like people middle of the night, somebody knocking on the door. There, here's a bunch from Kentucky that drove up to Indiana, you know, <laughs> unannounced. Here they are, the Kentuckians are here, you know. It's all my relatives. We're sleeping on the floor on pallets, and yeah, you know, and that's just the way it was. Oh yeah, and they'd play music all night. Ten. 10 people in our living room jamming all night. And my dad had a little tape recorder would record it. And I mean, I just thought, and I remember looking around going like, this is boring, man. What's going, nobody has guitars laying around. This is, yeah. uh, I don't like this. You know? <laughs> yeah. You didn't, it, from your story, you didn't have a choice. You no, really, no, no, that no, was, no, no, man. Yeah. Hey, I wrote a song once and you'll have to hear this song. I wrote it. It was on one of my MCA albums, Tony Brown and, Jimmy Bowen produced, but I wrote about my dad and that's just really true. I, my dad had a voice somewhere between Eddie Arnold and Red Foley. He, and I, I know it's my dad. He's been gone for a few years now, but he, he was really a special singer. He could really, he was really good. He could write songs. He played great guitar, fiddle, you know, harmonica played the crap out of a harmonica. And, uh, he really could have done something in this town. He honestly, he could have. And, uh, but he looked up and he had six kids yeah. before he realized what caused it, you know? <laughs> and uh, so I wrote a song once called caught between your duty and your dream. And, uh, I wrote it about my dad and his whole situation, you know, and he's living it through me, you know, the song that's talking about that. And he did, uh, you know, in a lot of ways. So uh, caught between your duty and your dream. And that's what he was. Mm. You know, I, uh, I, there's always stories. I taught school out of college for a couple of years and everybody wants the story of all of a sudden one day I quit teaching school and was a rodeo clown just like that. (laughs) And, and maybe this whole thing, when you read your story, there's always the, well, he was playing, he was 17 playing bass in Indiana and by God, Dottie West just happened to be in the crowd. And I, I'm, you know, I've read that and I'm like, wait a second. I mean, we're in Indiana and Dottie West comes in for a drink. I mean, come on. That, yeah. 
Yeah. There's got to be a little more to that story, doesn't there? It's oh, there's there's whole, I won't even bore yeah. you with all the story, but, but yeah, there's a lot of a uh, lot of more to it. Uh, I started playing around the. I, I, well, let me back up. I, we lived in a little town, Noblesville. It was about, I mean, it's it's kind of 20 miles north of Indy. It's kind of the northern suburb of, you know, you take all the southerners out of this town and there wouldn't be much left in this town. It was all, it's where a lot of southerners yeah. moved up and congregated back, like I said, back in the 50s. But, but I used to drive 20 miles, 30 miles to different parts of Indianapolis. That's where all the clubs and really good musicians were for me they were they were down there and i used to drive down there and play when i was even before i had my license i had guys would come by and pick me up and we played a club called the the blue flame it was called and it was a rough rough place <laughs> i didn't even have my driver's license so i was what 15 and uh supposed to be 21 to get in and i'm sure i really looked 21 but uh, we'd play we'd play four or five sets a night excuse me and that was that's where I got my training with my dad and then I graduated on to playing with all these really good musicians around Indy you know around Indianapolis and and I start I heard about these brothers over on the west side of town from Kentucky that intrigued me because I've heard these stories about these guys the young brothers and they I've met them and got to know them and their sister and their brother-in-law had a big nightclub and bought this club out by the Indianapolis 500 Speedway, right in the shadow of it, pretty much. And it was about a 30 mile drive from where I lived in Noblesville. But I started playing with these guys a lot. And uh, and then their brother, brother-in-law and sister who owned the club, it was a nice big club called the Nashville Country Club, ironically. And they started bringing in some country acts. I was 16, just turned 16, 17. And uh, they started bringing in some country acts you know, and they kind of low line acts. And then all of a sudden they go, Oh, we got Dottie West coming in. They had a few acts and then they, they started up in their game. And then Daryl Young called me and says, Dottie West is coming neck in about three or four weeks. She'll be playing. You got to come down and play with us. I'm in high school, you know, so I go down and, and I, I go, heck yeah, I'll come down. And they were opening for Dottie obviously. And she was doing the show. And so I get up and play, and I was one of those guys. I kind of sat in and mm-hmm. played. I'd play bass. I'd sing. I'd do play guitar, whatever. And so I got up and started playing with them that night. And and I'm and Flynn, I'm on stage. Now who does this? Dottie <laughs> West, unbelievable. I'm on stage singing, uh, and I hear this female voice, and I go, "There's no females in this band," you know. <laughs> and so I hear a girl singing, and I look around, and it's Dottie West coming. She came out before her show. I guess she was, she said she was in the back watching, and uh, who does that anymore? Nobody even gets off their buses anymore. Dottie you know, but, Dottie was smitten. She was smitten with I, young Steve. Well, no, she had a bow. Her brother oh, was okay. her boyfriend. So, but yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't know. But her her husband, her soon to be husband Byron, was the band leader and was the drummer. So they, I guess they'd been watching. And so she came on stage. Now everybody in this club comes down, gets out of their seats and comes, gathers around the stage. And they're uh, like local boy doing good here. You know, everybody, now Dottie hasn't even done her show yet. And she's out there singing and we get done singing. And she looked, I go, I'm scared. And I look at her and she goes, do something else. What do you, what else do you know? And I go, I don't know. And she <laughs> goes, do you know together again? 
Buck Owens and I go, sure I do. Yeah, sure. So we, sang, we sang together again and everybody was gathered around from the whole club at our feet. And uh, after that, after we were finished, she whispered on stage and said, you want to set in with us and play during our show? And I go, I don't know your show. And she goes, I don't care. Just play along with us. And I go, okay. So I grabbed acoustic guitar and played her show. Never knew. I knew some of her songs a little bit, but I didn't know. And they were doing some complex things, you know, and I was just hanging on, you know. And then after <laughs> the show, they took me out on the bus. It was two in the morning, you know, after they, whatever. And I was, they invited me out on the bus and the Dottie and her husband, or fiance and the band leader and all that. And they, Dottie looked at me and said, we want you to join our band. Could you come and play with us? And uh, how quickly could you join us? And I said, well, Dottie, I'm a senior in high school. <laughs> you yeah. know, I'm a, it's not even my semester break yet. And she goes, well, you know, and then she was trying to put it together. And I said, well, let me do this. Let me go back to school that my semester breaks coming up in about three, four months. And uh, I'll look at it and see. Anyway, long story short, I went to my school and went around the, I talked to my counselor and they let me, my grades were okay. Not great, but okay. Math, it wasn't okay. But, and so <laughs> math, it sucked, but anyway. Well, I, I, was, I was a math teacher. Just so you know, I could have helped you. I, I, apologies I, right up front. <laughs> I, if I'd applied myself, uh, sir, I would have done a lot better. I know. But you know what? And I'll say this for young people. I wish I'd applied myself. I wish I'd yeah. listened. I needed to, I wish I'd have, all I could think about was guitars and amps and I didn't care about nothing else. Didn't want to hear about nothing else. And I wish I'd like, I would actually like to go back and re, you know, I wish I, I wish I wasn't as old as I am. I'd go back and redo because, but young people do that, man, get your education. But anyway, so I went around to my guidance counselor and they, she said, you know what, if you go around to all your teachers and take your exams and get, do it midterm thing, we will let you graduate early. And if you, pass everything and so that's what i did and i i had a half a credit of mandatory government for the next semester that you couldn't jam that in and i did that i did a little correspondence kind of course and graduated and i did graduate and and uh, was out on the road when i was I, 18 you know as you tell that story I, I put myself in that position even at 40 years old some things happened or 45 50 even now and the reaction I have, maybe, maybe you were young and dumb enough to not crap your pants a little bit, but for that to happen, I can't imagine a kid in your position. Maybe it was more common then, but maybe that was it. You were just so young. That was huge. Like that's unheard I was so of. On fire. I was so on fire too, Flint, for it. You know, I'd already made records with my dad. I'd already done. Yeah. I'd already been in some band competitions and. I was in the, when I was, when I was in the sixth grade, I'd already been to a bit, done some television shows. I'd recorded with my dad. I'd done a lot for a kid. I'd done way more than anybody in my peers, in my classes. I'd traveled a lot, you know, not, I say traveled. I mean, you not really, but Kentucky, Indiana, but I'd never really gone too far, but I'd done a lot of stuff, played, been playing since I was 10 years old, you know, and was trying to get ready to start writing songs. And I, I really was in that respect, I was ahead of myself. And I, you'll appreciate this story being a math teacher. This is totally not my character because you probably already, you probably know this. I hope you know it, that this is out of my character, but my Mr. McBride, my algebra teacher, 
I was leaving class, the bell rang and he goes, Mr. Warner, uh, I need to see you for a moment. And I, I stopped and went back and I was like, oh, I almost made it. You know, he grabbed me going out of class and he, he was one of those guys that had the pencil, very nerd, you know. Pocket uh, protector. Pocket yeah. protector yeah. with his glasses, white shirt, short sleeve white shirt with a black tie. Mm. And he said, uh, and all due respect to Mr. McBride and, and apologies to him. I know he's probably not with us still, but he said, uh, Steve, he goes, you're flunking algebra. And he said, uh, he goes, you, he goes, you really need to think about math, you know, because you're going to be needing it. He goes, music is math. And, and he's right about that. He goes, music is math. It is, yeah. He goes, you really need your math. He goes, and you're flunking. And he goes, you really need to get it, get it up going. And he goes, you're going to need this math to be in the business you want to be in. You're going to need math. And apologies to him, but I don't know why I said it totally out of character. I wish I could have told him face to face that I was sorry. But I looked at him and I said, Mr. McBride, I'm going to be making so much money someday. I'll have people that do that for me. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, and I walked and he goes, well, you know, and then I walked off and I was thinking, why did I say that? Hey, there's a Steve, there's a famous story that, uh, (laughs) A, a rodeo legend, Jim Shoulders, who's one of the most famous rodeo guys in the world. When he yes. was in high school, he left school, took off from school to go to a rodeo, and the principal was all over him. And he came back the next week and showed the principal that he said, same deal. He said, I made more money last weekend than you'll make all year. So you might want to back up. <laughs> it's the same story. I mean, in a sense. Uh, I really- you know, and I look back and you feel it's funny thing. And I never talked about this ever, but I remember the first time I started making some money. And I remember, I remember one night I made more in one show than my dad did all year. Mm-hmm. It made me sad in one way. And it, and I thought, wow, you know, my dad busted ass all year long and I just made more in one hour, yeah. you know, and it's, I don't say that in a pr- proud or bragging way at all. And I mean that, but I go, wow, that puts it in perspective that, what my dad did for his family and I'm getting emotional talking about it. But your dad, but your dad would, he would be proud of that. He probably was. Oh yeah. No question about it. He would love it. He'd love it. And he would, that's what he wanted to do. (laughs) And he could have, you know, uh, but uh, yeah, that's, but you look back on that stuff and what we do and what we're passionate about, that's what's in our blood and running through our veins. And that's who we are. You know, my dad and my uncles and my, Uncle Lowell, that was nothing but bluegrass, and all those people made me who I am, you know, and that's just a fact. And you know, and I think I one thing, what one thing that people have said about me, and I think it's true. He said they, you know, I heard somebody wrote this once, and they said it's really cool that you were that focused at such an early age, because I knew at 12 years old, I knew this is what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I knew exactly. I said that back 12, 13 years old, I go, when I get old enough, I'm going to move and I, I want to be in Nashville. I want to, I never once said I want to be a star, but I did say, I want to make music. I want to make records and I want to record. And I want to, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And I, to have that focus and that just laser focus at t- that early age, it's a blessing in a way. Cause you look now to a lot of the young people going like, well, I don't really know what I want to do. You know, I'm not sure. And, uh, I'm glad that I did have that at an early age. That's what I wanted to do from day one. Good point, though. Uh, I, I look back, you know, I, I remember thinking, I want to play in the NFL. Well, I'm 5'9", oh, you know, wow. 140. 
So, you know, that didn't, but <laughs> we, we, I remember as kids, we talked about what we wanted to do because of our passion for it. Now, now kids want to play in the NBA or NFL because of, of the money. Yeah, I, I think you, you bring up a good point about music. You knew this is what you wanted to do for the music, not to be famous. I think nope. there's a pursuit to be famous and the music is left in the dust a little bit as far as Absolutely. quality and passion. Well, just look at look at all the people that are famous now for no reason. For no you, reason. There's so yeah. many people you can go, what, what have they done? Why are they famous? They've not yeah. done anything. They're famous because they wanted to be famous. Yeah. You know, uh, I remember I just wanted to, and I'll, I'll say this too. Uh, boy, we're getting into some stuff. I love this. I don't delve into this stuff very often. Uh, not that comfortable talking about it actually, but I don't think I'm a good star. You know, I think I'm a good artist, but I don't think I'm a good star. There are people that are really good stars, you know, that man, they look like a star. They act like it. They, you know, and I, I never did think that I told Chet Atkins that once I go, I, I'm not sure I'm a good star, but I think I'm a good artist. I think I make good records and I think I write and play well, you know, and do okay. But, uh, I don't, I don't, that part don't, that part don't, that part of it don't turn me on as much as the, I agree with you. You're saying, I agree with you. I agree with you about you and I've never, uh, I've met you now, but uh, I can say, and you put it a good way through my years of Steve Warner is a go-to for me. Uh, My Pandora station on this phone is Steve Warner radio. Uh, I listen to Steve Warner radio and Mark Wills radio. I mean, they're, but I think to me, to a guy, listen, I'm a small town guy from Montana who wanted my hair to look like yours. And, (laughs) but the, uh, you maybe aren't a great star, but that's why it's held on for so long. So with all due respect, you're a crappy star, but I sure like your music. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, what's funny is, I guess there's one reason I was, I kind of gravitated to this gentleman I'm going to talk about because he was, I look at him as almost being this way. Uh, and not that I would ever, I don't compare myself to him at all, but boy, I, I seem to gravitate to people like that. I think, cause I became over the years, I became really close friends with Nolan Ryan, the sure. baseball oh, yeah. pitcher. And the, he's bet. one of my dear friends and I watch him. I'm, I'm around him and, and I watch him and I think, man, he don't even care a thing about anything. He don't care about, you know, that stuff don't even phase him about there. People ask him about, hey, when you when you beat the crap out of so-and-so when he's Robin Ventura. The- yeah. 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 <laughs> he don't even he very gets he gets very uncomfortable. He, yeah. he wants to talk about his grandkids and his and uh, he's you know, hey we, hey, we got a new uh I got a new horse, you know, the other day and he's yeah. doing, you know, blah, blah, blah. He would rather, t- way rather be, True. you know what I mean? That that's stuff that makes him happy. And that's he, the kind of, I, you know, I'm a, he weaves in and out of the rodeo world and has forever. And I'm a, I didn't know that. And I I'm a, I'm a, know. I'm a Justin boot endorsee doer yeah, yeah. as has, he has been forever. And, and I do a show in Vegas at the national finals rodeo, a live stage show that's on TV for years, I'd go sure. through Justin Boots. Sure. Can Nolan yeah. come on my show? I would love, and he never would not, it goes right to what you say, not to avoid or he was too big for that. His his reasoning always was, this week isn't about me. 
and I don't want to take yeah. attention from yeah. the cowboy. It was amazing to me. That's him, man. Yeah. I love that about him too. And I've stood with him at airports. We've flown together, out the podunk parts of Texas. I've been with him, <laughs> you know, little bitty planes and in little parts of Texas. And I've people would come up to him, and he's, you know, just that demeanor. I love it. Anyway, to say is uh, that's what I like is he don't even he don't even being a star don't even hadn't even crossed his mind. Yeah. And I'll be out sometimes with Karen and I'll, and I, I've actually done this. I told, <laughs> I've done this with Karen. I'll like, I'm on the street walking and somebody will be looking at me real close. And I'll actually, for one second, I'll go, I tell, I'll tell Karen to go, what's that guy staring at me? Yeah. What's he looking at? And she'll go, well, maybe he's a mute fan of yours. And I go, Oh, no, <laughs> I, right. I forget oh, yeah. for a minute. I'm thinking, <laughs> what's he looking at? <laughs> Then she goes, well, he might have your records, you know, yeah. and I go, oh, yeah, there's that, you know. I usually carry a sign just to tell everybody who I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, hey, certain, don't, I said the other day, I said, don't you know who I think I am? Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had to, it, it, it's a, a little bit of a segue, but no matter what you had done as a young person, uh, in Indiana and all the records you had cut, what you just said, your background, there had to be a little bit, uh, I mean, you go in and get affiliated with Chet Atkins. Chet Atkins is, when I think country music, guitar, in, in, in my mind, he's the original guy. That had, there had to be a yeah, little, yeah. that guy's a star in your mind, didn't there? Absolutely. An icon to me. I yeah. was, my dad was a, you know, my dad, as a little kid, my dad had tons of Chet Atkins albums. And I used to sit by the his stereo, my dad's stereo, with a nickel on the arm of the, to hold it down. Remember the <clears throat> the arm of the record, you'd put a nickel on it, put a piece of tape so it'd weigh it down a little bit. I'd listen to those records and try to figure out those licks. So to me, to get to meet him was like, I mean, it, that's not, I'm a, I'm a fairly religious guy. I'm a pretty faithful person. And I... T- you can't convince me that that's not some kind of uh, the stars lining up, the good Completely. Lord yeah. serendipity. That's not a coincidence that all this happened like it did. It just can't be uh, the way this happened, that way Chet and I, best friend. And it's, it's not, it's not a, it wasn't a stalk any kind of thing where I tracked him down. It was just turned out and there. I was as a kid learning all of his licks and trying to, and, listen to all his music and my dad was just his biggest fan ever. And then one day the, my a great thrill for me was the day I got to introduce my dad to Chet, yeah. you know, and watch that them hang out together. My dad, <laughs> grandpa Jones and Chet Atkins. That it's, was so cool, man. It was, uh, that you, was the best. You, you bring up your, was, you bring up your dad a lot. And I think that there's a real, that we can relate in, in different yeah, yeah. deals. Oh, yeah. You know, I, uh, speaking of, as long as we're visiting about this, Speaking Absolutely. of introducing our dads, you know, I said my dad, uh, rodeo announcer, had all his pre-show music back in the day. I, I was somewhere and uh, I introduced my dad and he didn't know who I was introducing him to. I said, Dad, I want you to meet Mo Bandy. <laughs> and my dad, I've never seen his eyes. Excuse me. And it's, it's just Mo. You know, once you get to know that? him. That is... And my dad was so thrilled. It, it's a similar thing here I love in a it. way. We always think of our dads, and my dad's still alive. He's he's oh, watching wonderful. this right now. But uh, good, good for him. Isn't there something in there? 
about when oh, you can do that for your best. dad. You know, my dad was, he was just real funny guy. He said so many funny things and, and, uh, I took so many things from him. I'd watch him with the crowd play at a show. I played drums at one point with my dad, or let me rephrase that. I had a nice set of drums, uh, in those days and play, <laughs> I, I played drums, but I had a nice set of drums. I didn't play them very well, but, but my dad, I'd watch my dad work the crowd and he was just great. He was everybody really liked him too. By the end of the night, he had everybody right in his hands. And, and so I learned a lot from him. I yeah. watched him closely and I had some really good teachers. My dad, Bob Lumen, I worked with Bob Lumen who for a couple of years, uh, well, Dottie West for three years. And then I worked for a gentleman named Bob Lumen who L U M A N. He was a tremendous uh, entertainer. And uh, I watched him man, learned a lot from him. And then of course, Chet Atkins yeah. and Bob passed away at 42 uh, and, uh, years old. And, uh, that's a whole nother chapter in my book one day, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I, I'll, I'll have to tell you about that one one day, but he was an awesome guy. And, but anyway, and it, so I'm really lucky that I went to the school of, uh, the, my, the, my dad, Chad Atkins, Dottie West, Bob Lumen school of yeah. music. That's the music I went school. I went to, you know, there's, I've talked about this with, I've had a lot of independent guys on here, you know, uh, and as you know, Ned's my friend, guys like Chancey Williams in, in Wyoming. And, yeah. uh, you know, and that the passion, the live show, the, the, the studio success, uh, mainstream radio success. There's a whole another section of music that never gets on the radio. That's so good. Oh yeah. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. And, and that, to me, that, part of that is the, the musician part, Steve, it, it, the amazing guitar players that passion isn't captured guys like brad paisley and keith urban vince yeah. gill uh glenn yep. campbell was that way that's a whole aspect of what they do that really isn't captured unless you really you go to a live show or really know what they're passionate about there's a story yeah, to be told with a guitar yeah and all those guys i know very very well and I knew Brad Paisley when he was, I met him when he was about 11 years old, 10 or 11, 12, 11 years old or something like that. <clears throat> and I was around him a lot. I got to know his dad and, and his, his, the guy that's his road manager now has been for years was with me. He was my road manager before Brad. And he's anyway, long story. I got some great Glenn Campbell stuff too. We did a, <clears throat> pardon me. I got something in my throat. <clears> Excuse <throat> me. We did a, I did a show with Glenn one time. We had a hit out called The Hand That Rocks the Cradle together. Yep. There ought to be a Hall of Fame for Mamas. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh, I'd been on the road. Now, back up a couple of months prior, so I did a show and someone gave me a belt that was hand, they had made it themselves. They had hand tooled it. Mm -hmm. And could be quite honest, <clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> uh, to be quite honest, somebody made this belt and it had uh, to be nice about this. They would had some, I don't know why they thought to give it to me, but it had some obscene things that they'd hand tooled on it, the of, of females and males. And uh, so I, my rope, my guy that, uh, my guy that worked with me on the road that did t-shirts and stuff, they'd given it to him to give to me. And he, we were laughing about it going like, Oh my God, who would wear this thing? You know? Well, Dave, my guy just tucked it up in the 
they did they just tucked he just tucked it up on one of the in my stateroom in my bus back in a drawer and i never uh you know three months go by and i'd forget that it's up there well we get to this tv show i might have been hee-haw i can't even remember but glenn and i were going to do uh hand that rocks the cradle well glenn had flown from la and didn't have a belt <laughs> and so and so i told dave my guy i told my road manager whoever i said hey go out i said i know i got belts in my bus and my bus is out there go just find glenn a belt we wear the same size and so so they go back and they glenn we get ready to tape and glenn looks at me and says hey thanks for the belt man it worked perfectly and i go oh great so we're in the middle of the taping now. We're taping the show. Now you don't see much of it. I see it, but the crowd don't see it at all because only part of it is <clears throat> showing underneath his coat with his guitar. But I look over in the middle of this song and we're going, there ought to be a hall of fame for mamas. And I look over and I go, oh, and I see those, I see that belt and I go, oh my God, my face. You know how you just get flush, and I go, oh no. And so, and we filmed, we went in, taped a couple segments. You know, we had before the cameras quit, and I went over to Glenn and I pulled him aside and told him, I said, man, cover that up. And he goes, oh my God, I didn't even notice, you know. But I always think about that with Glenn. He was a dear friend. Uh -huh. And uh, I never will forget looking down, though, Flynn, I about had a heart attack when I looked down and saw that. <laughs> Um, in those, in those guys like Glenn and Glenn Campbell and the guys we talked about, and I know you've done a lot of work with them. Doesn't, you know, there are those performers out there that yes, they do good studio work, but see, I'm a live show guy. I, I judge people yeah. not just, well, of course I judge. We all judge. Um, yes, yes. but what does that live show sound like? What is, you can see a connection with your background in what a in the words of mark wills steve's a monster guitar player which i knew but it's got to be a live show to to pull that off somebody somebody said once well if you ever go to a vince gill concert he's going to sing all those songs you know but there's going to be a five minute guitar solo in between each one but there's a connect yeah. that's your one place to really yeah express yourself with that guitar that's the one place you can go to that it's peaceful. It's, it's joyful. That place on stage Yes. for that two hours or whatever it is, nobody can get to you. There's Ugh. no phones. There's nobody can be, there's nobody tugging at you. That's your, that's your bliss right there. That's your place that uh, it's a sanctuary really. And I, it's hard. You, you know, you understand it. You get it. I've said that and forever. A lot Most of peaceful part of my yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's the best place to be and nobody unless you do it and understand that being an entertainer uh, whether it be you know what you do what I do or whatever unless you do that you don't get it but that's the one place then once you come off stage after that two two hours of doing a show or whatever then you're back to the real world but right. that's the one place you can just it's perfect you know? uh, i've and, said well some yeah. nights it's not but when it is perfect yeah. <laughs> the stars line up it is the best place yeah. now some nights you want that two hours or hour and a half to be over with quickly but most nights it's just so good and uh, every entertainer understands that i i was lucky that i was around a lot of entertainers you know like dotty to her with dotty west it was all about the show and Bob Lumen, he was a Vegas, he was an entertainer. So 
you know, and that's why people come up to me and they go, Hey, you were on hee haw the other night or whatever you were on the tonight show. Uh, did you watch yourself? And I go, are you kidding me? I don't want to see, I, I was there. I did it. I don't want to see that stuff. I don't watch it myself. I don't want to see it or <clears throat> cause I did it and I remember it and I was there. So, so I'd always go, no, no, no. I don't want to see any of that. On a, uh, but, on, on a normal year right now. Well, uh, when you talk about that place to be, I know in, and every guest I've had on this, uh, it's come up in some way yes. in those, in these last 10 months, there was, there was three, four months. I didn't do anything. Yep. And as, as a guy who needs that peaceful place to be that hole that's right here, that needs to be filled with that. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. a tough deal. What on a normal year, do you, do you have a lot of gigs? Are you still getting out there? Uh, not necessarily <laughs> now, but uh, yeah, on definitely. a normal year. Well, wonderful question. And I'll, I'll preface this by saying that I, I hope the people out there, the audience, the fans, the, I, they probably do, but I hope they understand that that's what feeds us all. That's what them, them being there in the seats, them coming to the shows. That's what keeps our motors going. And, uh, I do, I'm, I'm told all the time that, Hey, if you don't, you could, you don't have to be playing shows if you don't want to. That's something that I hear sometimes, but I, I always go, well, that's what I do. What would I like? It's like, like Willie Nelson would never have to play a show ever again. Yeah. Willie's out there. That's all Willie does. He plays yeah. and plays and to shut down everyone this time of year. I mean, this like this past year, I mean, uh, it's devastating because you're, I did, I did Flint. I think I did four shows in 20, 2020. I think I did four shows. Well, I did. Let me back up. I think I did a couple in January, yeah. I think. And then we shut down. I, those are real shows. And then we shut down the whole year. And I think I did four Opry's and two of those Opry's were, there were 10 people in the whole building. That's the band and the crew and the camera guys and all that. And the other two, they had 800 people in this crowd. And that was like, when, when I did the Opry, the last two with 800 people in the seats, that place seats 4,400. Yeah. And the last two I did, they had 800 people, 800 or 1,000. And it was like, I couldn't it, quit smiling. Oh, I, I, I know. Smiling. Yeah. It was so good to hear applause. It's like, oh, my uh, gosh, they're actually listening to that. I actually told the band, I go, listen, listen to this applause. <laughs> it's uh, and uh, much like you said, if if you don't have that, thing that needs to be fed. That's why we're in this business. It's hard to Absolutely. explain it. It was tough. Yeah. I struggled. Last I, me too. Spring. I totally did too. And I'm going to tell you, I'm a person that I like my solitude. I don't mind it. Yep. Yeah. I paint. I told you I paint and draw and I get my, my little pool house. I'm looking at it through the window right there. My little pool house that we don't really use much. It's my art studio has been for years and I got it. You know, I, I'm all, I go in there and I got a, you know, I got paintings hanging and I got art junk laying all it's just a wreck as it should be, but that's my sanctuary. And I like being alone. I don't mind it. I can go out there and be turn the radio on or listen to music and be out there for eight hours and not even bat an eye and look up and go, wow, it's dinner time. How did that happen? It's dark. Uh, but I got to have, it's like a, it's like some kind of addict of some sort that has to have, the whatever it is it's i gotta have the 
live audiences. Yeah. It's all I know. And I know you're that way too. You've got to have the live stuff. There's nothing like it. Yeah. Well, I, knew, I do know this. If I had a pool, it would be frozen right now. <laughs> that's, that's so but your you poor pool ice, house <laughs> you could go ice skating you would be good you know uh, uh you're in a beautiful part of the country though man i yeah. love it montana wyoming well i remember playing the before the few months well six or eight months before the lockdown we played uh, i played jackson wyoming and uh the work i played a really cool gig at word hotel there in jackson hole and yeah we love it. My wife wants to move to Cody so bad. She would move tomorrow. Cody's a cool town. Yeah, I like Cody. Cody's still Wyoming, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jackson Hole's it Jackson is. Hole, but uh, well, Jackson Hole is. I. It is. You know, it's more of a. Yeah. It's yeah. the. It's the. The. The foofy. We Wyoming. know. We know. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of that way, you know. But it's. But yeah, Cody is the real Gray Bull. You know, Gray Bull yeah. Cody. I like real Wyoming. You know? Yeah, well, it's, we talk about you're, you're we talk about beautiful. real Montana too. There's a real Montana, yeah. and yeah. yeah, I remember going to Clark. I think it was Clark, Montana, a little place right over the line up. I don't really remember. I think it's called Clark, C L A R K E, uh, and uh, it was just a little bitty town. We loved it. It was so good. We bought a we bought an RV, Flynn, about five years ago. <laughs> It's a, it's a little, uh, I've turned into what's his name, uh, on the Wally world going to Wally or that movie. Clark Griswold. Clark yeah, Griswold. Clark Griswold. Yeah. Well, we bought this little, it's really, it's a Winnebago view. It's perfect. Diesel sprinter frame. It's perfect for two people. We bought it about five or six years ago. And we, within two weeks, we took off for, uh, Yellowstone. Hmm. It stayed about a month and, uh, kind of hubbed out of Cody. Yeah. And we still talk about that trip to this day. I mean, it was so good. And, and, uh, I remember pulling into, we've been talking about it on some, on, on social media, talking about our trip. Hey, we're, we're going to Yellowstone Cody. And I up in the middle of Yellowstone park, I pull in, we have in a rent a car. We pull into this. I was not even in the RV. I was in a rent a car and I pull into this place where they had these events like uh, barbecues and stuff. And I saw a guy coming up to me on horseback. And I go, it looked like a official kind of guy. And I thought, uh oh, I'm in an area I'm not supposed to be, maybe, or something. And this guy, real nonchalant, pulls up on his horse. And, and I go, is it, can I use the bathroom here? Is there a place I can go in? And he goes, he goes, he real calmly just goes, Steve Warner, glad you're here. And I go, how'd you know I was here? <laughs> how'd you know it's me? My beard was out. And, and he goes, oh, I've been following you on social yeah. media. I heard you're in Cody. And I go, this cowboy out in the middle of nowhere knew it. You know, it's like, that's awesome. But that's why people, uh, honestly, that's why a lot of, you know, people love to come Montana and Wyoming because that's love all it. you're going to get. Hey, glad yeah. you're here. Glad yeah. you're here. And he didn't, he didn't, he was very underwhelmed. He didn't yeah. care, but I loved it. You, to him, that was probably the excitement, but he, I love it. He just goes, Steve Warner, glad you're here, man. And I go. That's awesome. Thanks. Can I take a leak over here? Or? Yeah, now <laughs> can I go? I love it. I love it. We went to. I'll, I'll get off of. Uh, I'll get off of my trip, but real quick here. But we've spent a couple. We spent a few days in Lander, Wyoming, mm -hmm. and uh, really loved it. We camped there for four about four days, and uh, I went to. We saw a sign on a 
telephone pole that said powwow tonight at the community, whatever, the cultural center. So I just bought a camera. I went on the res reservation and bought a camera that day, new camera and had a big lens. And I go, let's go to the powwow tonight. And I want to take some pictures. And I, we go to the powwow and I, I sat there and there's about 30 people, you know, and, uh, where I took some pictures and which turned into paintings later. I've done several paintings from that, that, that mm -hmm. trip just had a great time. Anyway, this, you, just you, to say, uh, you met some, some wonderful people. You picked man. some good spots. You picked real spots. I respect yeah. that. That's a, per, and that's, Thermopolis, man, and yeah. oh, it's so great. They're so great. Anyway, all my, my guys in the room are going, yeah, hey, you picked the right <laughs> spot. Um, hey, I got it from a friend of mine. I'm supposed to, his one request was to verify or see if there's any truth to the story. Friend of mine, Shane Miner, great songwriter. Yeah, and, I know Shane Miner, yep. And uh, he said, hey, I, I've heard a story that back when Steve was really rolling, he was touring. And he had a young guy opening up for him named Garth Brooks. And, <laughs> and Garth started to get some buzz, and he has heard, and just wants to know if this is true, that halfway through the tour, you went to Garth and said, we should switch. I should open for you. Is that well, a true story, or what, what am I missing? It's not true as far as, I'm not, I'm a, hey, I don't claim to be a genius, but I'm smart enough to not go halfway through the tour. <laughs> it was yeah. early in the early. tour. <laughs> well, here's what here's I, I'm a I'm no genius, but I'm smart enough to know what's going on in that respect. Here's how that came down. In those days, we were doing uh, these. They called they were called phone show. They were phone shows. They called them in those days. They would, in other words, they would. The only they. It was, it was through the police or fire department and they would come into these cities and they would, the, the, it was a charity event, but they, it would be to support your fire department or, or, or police. And they would sell out these shows and people would work the phones and say, Hey, country music show on so-and-so. Now when they, I did a bunch of those in the day, it was a, it was a company out of Florida that booked these, a promoter. And it was really lucrative. It was really good. I did a bunch. And they would book you. The only doubt they would, when they booked you, they would book you for three months at a time. You'd be out for three months or whatever. And you would really, really make some bucks. And for me at that time, it was a lot of money. And so, but the only downfall is you would book it 10 months out, you know, which I, I would never, gotcha, uh, I never yeah. booked something 12, 10 months, 12 months. Normally you don't do that, but for this block of time, they would, they would give you a stupid amount of Roger Miller, you say, they made me an offer I couldn't understand, you know, so, <laughs> uh, so, but they, we booked these shows. Well, they booked on the show. We, I looked at the show and they, I'm, I'm, I go, oh, there's a kid named Garth Brooks opening for me on these shows 10 months out, you know, and I go, oh, that's that kid from Oklahoma. He's opened for me 20 times down and through Texas and Oklahoma. And he'd always kicked butt and did, he was just out of college and, really doing you know back in those days he rocked you know just was killing it but he wasn't garth yet you know yeah. so we booked these shows and i thought well that'd be good i remember garth where you get out in the parking lot and throw a baseball or something so by the time these shows rolled around now fast forward 12 months later or whatever these shows are coming up and now garth's bigger than beatles michael jackson <laughs> prince all put together you know <laughs> he's bigger than anything well 
Garth is Garth and he's not, he's not changing anything. You know, we do these shows and Flint, I don't, my ego don't, is not so big that I can't be honest about this. There were people, I'm smart enough to know people were, most of the people were there to see Garth. By the time he got there, he'd already done, you know, he had a one or one or one record, maybe two records. He had had a couple records out and they were monstrous and he was just smoking. So we did four or five shows and I could tell that after my, after Garth finished his opening stuff, I could tell that it was like, man, they were there to see him. That's just a fact. And so I went to him. I never will forget this. I went to him and I said, <clears throat> I said, man, I need to talk to you. And he goes, oh, everything okay? And I go, oh, yeah, yeah. And he was making, he, this is how he honors, he honored those contracts. Because when they booked him, he was, he probably was making 50 times what, about 12 months later. But he could have went back and said, no, I'm not doing these mm-hmm these shows but he he was still making whatever he's making it was nothing i was making killing it you know and he was making nothing at that time well and, luckily and, he's good now he's okay now i think but, he's going to be okay yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe. <laughs> but i know for a fact that he he didn't even go back and even quarrel he just he just said nope where I'm, pl- I'm playing for the same money and i told him i said let i said garth i'm smart enough to know these people are here to see you they we really need to split plot this around and let's do this right. I said, that's only the right. And he looks at me and he goes, Nope. He goes, I, he goes, I wouldn't feel right. He goes, you're Steve Warner, man. And I go, I know I am, but you're going to be closing these shows, man. (laughs) And so, and I, it's just, he was a friend, you know, and I just went and talked heart to heart and said, man, you really need to, you know, Garth, they're here to see you. I know that. I was, I was having hit records, you know, but sure. he was just on another planet, had become huh. landed up on another planet, you know. And so he goes, well, if you really want me to with your blessings. And I go, yeah, I do want you to. And, I, and so the next night from there on, we sw- we flopped it around and it was awesome. I mean, you know, uh, I didn't have a bit of trouble with it. It was the right thing to do, believe yeah. me. Well, it's, I've never heard a, a bad word about Garth Brooks. And, and no, it, no. So. Anyway, well, well now, I've known yeah. him for over 35 years, and I can tell you, I won't go into it, but I can tell you some stuff that I've seen firsthand that nobody knows about that I've seen with my own eyes. And I can tell you some stuff that you just, he, he wanted it to be that way too. He said, if anybody finds out about this, I'm not going to be happy. And it was stuff that he was doing, things that he did that would just touch you, you know, that he's done. And so, I don't, when it, people even remotely try to say something yeah. bad about him, I'm not hearing it, you know, yeah. so, yeah. you know, and you're that way. I know too. And I respect him a lot. Um, Although yeah. I will say I do on the other side of that coin of the opening thing, I do, I won't mention a name, but I do know that Emmy Lou Harris back in the eighties, she did a tour of Europe and this particular young country act that went after the first couple of nights went to her, her and said, I really need to be closing these shows. <laughs> and now I know this for a fact. Now this is the other side of this coin. And Emmy Lou, who is a dear friend and a sweetheart, she's huge. You know, she was huge, but really huge in Europe. And, uh, and so she just gracefully said, Oh yeah, sure. And then, so the next night they flopped it. And let me just say a couple shows later, he, this artist came back and said, let's, let's flip it back over, you know, like it was because people were leaving. 
and she goes, no, we're all set now. We're good. You know? So you're not going to, you're not going to tell me who it was. Come on. Nah. Okay. (laughs) Um, you know, one of the things that I've told, you know, my, my brother's a big, he's big fan. All of us, big fans. You worry, uh, we worry when we talk to someone like you, there was an old sketch on Saturday night live with Chris Farley. And he, it was the Chris Farley oh, show. Yeah. And do you remember, he'd say, uh, uh, remember that, that song? That was so <laughs> awesome. You know, you worry, so, you worry that, hey, uh, uh, holes in the floor of heaven. That was awesome. You know, you do worry about that, but you got to have a music chat a little. How do you, I did not know till recently, one of, one of my favorite songs of yours, already taken. You released it yes. in the 70s and again in the 90s. So yesterday, I'm sitting, so I pull them both up. And I guess I'm interested, the music part of me is interested, for one, how you make that decision. This song will work 20 years later. But in, a, it, man. It, in my sense, you stripped it down. You stripped the song down, yeah. and it's full of way more heart and emotion the second time. Yeah, on track yeah. a little? I'll tell you, man, there's a cool story on that. I'll tell you about it. I wrote that song when I was 18. I was out on the road with Dottie West traveling in the bus. Knew nothing, of course, about fatherhood and all that. But that is a true story up until the time there's a baby involved. That's a true story. There's a girl named Marcia that, that was in third grade. I sent her a note telling her that I liked her. And she wrote me back and said, no, I like so-and-so. I, I, and that, that really happened. I, now, huh. I look back now, what was I doing in the third grade? I was pretty bold, you know. You were. But, Good job. Well but played. Anyway, I, yeah, that's exactly third, fourth grade. Uh, but anyway, I, uh, when I, now fast forward, I signed my recording contract with RCA. Chet Atkins was going to produce. And we go in for my first session. And Chet goes, we, Chet really loved that song. And so Chet goes, we're doing, I'm already taken. And I go, oh, that's awesome. You know, awesome, awesome. So we cut it. It comes out. It was a minor, you know, it was a very, very, uh, not even a, I wouldn't even call it a hit. It was my very first single. Had a, it got up to about 60 something, maybe if I'm lucky, 70 in the charts and kind of. So, but I'd always put that on the back burner. I always thought, man, I love this song. That song didn't get a good shot, you know, and, and I know Chet loved it, so that tells me his instincts, you know. And so I actually cut it a second time, but when I was going out the door of RCA, I had to, I owed him an album. Uh, we cut an album called Down in Tennessee. And a lot of people don't know this, but I cut that a second time. Mm-hmm. Well, I did it at Studio A at RCA. With I stood in the middle of a whole orchestra and sang it. We did it just boom, live performance. I didn't even fix anything i played and sang at the same time and it's on that album called it's a rare rare album of mine called down in tennessee later on john anderson cut the song down in tennessee and had a hit with it i i cut it two years before he did but anyway he did a killer job on it uh but uh so now now here's the good story on this song now now the the year 2000 comes around and i'm doing i'm i'm on capitol records garth brought me to Capitol. I've had Holes in the Floor of Heaven. Uh, I'm doing an album uh, called Two Teardrops. Uh, 
and I go in to play songs. Uh, I'm producing my own stuff by this time. I'm producing my own stuff, and uh, I go in to have a meeting with the head of the label, Pat Quigley, and all the there's a handful of A and R people there, and I'm just going in, not even to ask them. I'm just going in to say, here's the stuff I'm going to cut. I think you know it's kind of I was lucky that way that I they let me do what I wanted to do. So I go into this meeting and I pull out I'm already taken and play it on the guitar. And I said, I'm going to cut this song. I didn't say a word about it. Nobody in the room even knew that song existed. They never, they thought it was a brand new song. I was playing them all new stuff I'd written. And I pulled out my guitar and I go, here's, here's another really wanting to do. And I do already take, and everybody in the room goes, Oh, you got to do that. You got to that song. They had no idea I'd done it for, you know, 15 years or whatever earlier. And it was a, Atkins had done it. And so I played it for them. They loved it. I went in and cut it. And, uh, and as they say, it was history. It was a hit. And they, if they had known that I, twice, they wouldn't, they would have tried to talk me out right. of doing it. And, uh, so I just, that's one of those times that you just trust. That's a thing that you, you just trust your instinct. I really believed in a song. I'd done it on the road for years and seen how the audiences reacted to it. And I knew that song. I just believed it. I would have bet my house on that one. Believed it that ended that strongly. And uh, and then when it came out, it was and as soon as that record came out, everybody goes, "Well, I'm already taking. It's got to be a single." And uh, I think it was 2001. Came out 2000, 2001 out and was a hit and i always say i go man chad atkins knew what he was talking yeah. about he knew songs he was a smart man i mean he knew he believed in that song way back when i cut it in 1979 or whatever it was. well it, it's better the, the most recent way better than the 70 i, I, I agree it, with you it, i believe I, it. it's just raw it's more raw yeah. i guess that's the word i well, thank you very much of. yeah thank you and my friend bergen white arranged those strings they were just gorgeous uh -huh. and yeah so uh, anyway thank you i love that song too um well i don't want to keep you all day we could keep we could talk songs oh, yeah. we could talk it all but oh this is so fun um, man i've really enjoyed it um i will you know, say uh, i i've referenced this before i think with might have been with Shane Minor that there's so uh, music's a big part of my life and there's a song out there that I relate to so many things in my life and it, it's my favorite Eric Church song and it was never a single but it was on one of his albums and it's called Those I've Loved and it's the old play on words sort of like I'm already taken it starts with the the little girl who had a ribbon in her hair and then it, or it starts with his grandpa who died. He's one of those he's loved. Then the girl with the ribbon in her hair. And at the end yeah. of it, the last verse is about his songs. And they are, they fall into the category of those he's loved. All these songs fall it, it, almost like his kids. I would yeah. imagine you, you put out so many songs. They're like your kids. I would imagine. We all know we have a favorite kid. We tell them we don't. But, <laughs> but it, I would imagine in your career, you can look back and go, I remember the situation when that was written or recorded. Oh, I remember. Markers, they're mile markers in your life, aren't they? They're, mar they're markers. Yeah. Uh, and you're exactly right. And, you know, people ask me, what's your favorite songs? And I can't answer it because... I like this song because of that. I like that song. I wrote this song about when my son was born. I wrote this song for my wife 
like a river of the sea. I wrote that about her. I wrote this song about my dad because, you know, they're, they always say, write about what you know. And that's what I do. I write, you know, I write, I write about what you're really feeling. That's, that's the, what I'm going for is the stuff when they go, Oh my gosh, I know what you're singing about. Cause I've done that. That's what I want. I want, yeah. I write about stuff that I think is mean something to me and something's real. Cause if you do that, it's going to be mean something to someone listening to. And yeah. so it's hard to, it's hard to pinpoint any favorites, but I'll tell you some of my, a few of my favorites is I wrote a song. I should be with you mm-hmm. about when my youngest son was born and I was long. I won't bore you with a story on it, but I was in LA. My, we'd prayed about it, talked about it. I had to be in LA. The label kind of made me go do this video. She was due date like the next week, any time really. And uh, I got back, took a red eye flight, did this video. Got, anyway, got back just in time for the birth. And I was home at not even six hours and she went into labor. I mean, it's unbelievable. I should and be with so you right now. Of, the state that you're in is the, the state that you're in. That you're you in yeah. And uh, that song is uh, really special. I, that means a lot. Those I'm already taken is really special, you yeah. know, and the little girl, the girl, little girl in the song, you know, it's, it's, it's a real person, you know, I, I still, I don't, she don't know this. That's what's great. She don't know that song's about her, but, oh. but, uh, and, uh, but then of course the back part of it is fictional, but those songs that are real, you know, I really like, where did I go wrong? That's a real, real, uh, the ones that I've written yeah. by myself, you know, I write, I co-write a lot, two teardrops I wrote with Bill Anderson. I've, that's probably maybe as far as technically, if you're looking at a song, as they say in writer speak, you know, if you, use a song that uses an economy of lyrics they say you know saying the most with the least of words that song would probably fit in that category you know and for me it's one of the maybe the best song i've written probably it's called two teardrops old Uh, bill and whispering bill anderson whispering bill i I interviewed you know i i got to interview him once a few years ago not to get back going again but uh i i talked to him about how he has come through so many uh phases of music and still is relevant in the songs Absolutely. that he writes. He wrote, he's written a really great song for Brad Paisley. And I can't remember which one it was. Whiskey Lullaby. Whiskey Lullaby. And then you go, then you go back the other way, all the way to Lefty Brazil, Saginaw, Michigan. Yeah. I mean, to stay I mean, hello, relevant. You know, it, it's like, that's amazing to me that like, I a, did a song of his tips of my fingers was yep. a big hit. Yes. And he came to me and hugged me and almost crying and said, man, I was about ready to, you know, he says this in his book. He said, you doing this song really brought me back around, gave me confidence, made me realize that I can still be relevant. He said, I kind of thought in this world of the new writers, this would have been in the early 90s. He said, in this new era of the writers, I was wondering about my relevancy, you know, still. And he goes, you let me know that these songs are still relevant. I can still do this, you know. Hmm. But uh, I guess that's all we want. All of us are wanting to be relevant and be, uh, say something that's meaningful that'll stick one day that, you know, holes in the floor of heaven is special for me because I think that's one that people will look back on and it means a lot to mm-hmm. certain families. I did a, you know, different people. It means different things, but we, I started getting, you know, Flynn, I started getting after that song was a hit. I started immediately getting emails and snail mail letters and messages, people telling me their stories mm-hmm. about their loss and it meant it was unbelievable. I actually, my manager at the time, 
he collected all these letters and emails and he said, man, you, you have to do a book. These letters will go back and get permission from everybody. But, and that's what we did. We made a book, a coffee table book. It's nothing I even did. It's all exactly the words that these people wrote about their experiences with this song and how it affected them. And this book is unbelievable. Nothing I did. It's all their words, but it's so cool that it made me really proud of that song that maybe I did strike a nerve and people, uh, it was really comforting in a lot of ways, that song. It was sad, but it was uplifting and comforting in, a, in more ways uh, uh, than sad, I think. And it makes me so proud. Every week I get emails saying, hey, we played your song at my dad's funeral or at my mom's or at my, my, my daughter's wedding. We danced together. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's what life is right there. It's that, life being laid out in front of you, you know. The, the feedback from people like that, that's another thing that fills what we talk Absolutely, about. Absolutely, anyway. man. And it yeah. means the world, you know, uh, to, uh, to feel like maybe you've uh, meant something to someone's mm. world or in their life, touched them a little bit, you know, so. Yeah. Um, well, I just want, I do want you to know before I let you go, I, my girls are, they're successful rodeo girls and they're, they're talented and do well in school. But I have told them and their mom has told them, no matter how much success you have in life and everything you accomplish. And my dad taught me this too. The one thing people will remember is how you treat them in failure oh, yeah. and success. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. want you to know that when I reached out yeah. to a couple of friends of mine in the music business, uh, told them I was talking to you. The one thing they said was, he's one of the nicest guys in the music business. Oh, man. And well, yeah, I'll tell you what, and, that means more than any yeah. of the other stuff, honestly. Well, and, and I just you want you to know that, that. Thank you. We, we try, we're trying to do something good here and fulfilling. And, and I know that I will remember how you treated us and me on this. I, oh, it's, it's nice. much, much appreciated. So, well, thank you for yeah. saying that. My dad always said that when I was a little kid. He said, man, always treat people the way you want to be treated. That's all. That was a simple thing that stuck with me. And uh, thank you for saying that. I, I really always subscribe to that, you know, and uh, the, it, means, it means a lot to hear it. I've really enjoyed today, and Logan did a good job back there. I never he saw did. Him, he but. did do a good job. And now, now if we ever get back. I think back, he did. I, I think, think he, he did. did yeah. And now, now if we ever get back with the – Pro Bull Riders Tour in Bridgestone Arena. I got to get you to one of my shows now. See, you come and watch honored. me. Yeah. Hey, you may be able to help me on something too. Oh, okay. I, 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 I told you a couple of times that I paint. I want to, you can probably get me down close where I can really take some good pictures of some bull riding so I can use for reference for listen, painting. Listen, Steve, I know some people. All right. <laughs> I got <laughs> I figured you might. I I may be able to help you out on. I mean, that. I want to try to keep the dirt off my lens. I want to get oh. down there where I can get. The... Yeah. Hey, I I really did. I did. I did do a painting for Garth. I'll send you uh, if I can get your. I'd love to send you a picture of this. Uh, I took a picture. I think I may have a print. I'll get you too. I got about eight prints okay. of it. But it's a it's a rodeo. Uh, uh, it's a. a it's rodeo Brock. It's a guy, right? It looks like I would Chris love Ledoux, that. Actually. I would love that. But it's that. a guy. He's he's waiting for the eight seconds to go by. He's hanging on for dear life, and this horse is snorting and kicking up dust. And and uh, it, it, I gave I did I gave it's a big painting. It's a big watercolor 
a pen and ink and I gave it to Garth just to say thanks for everything he's done for me through the years. But I, he's got the original of it and I'd love to, to uh, get you a copy. When of we're it. off the air, we'll figure that out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> Steve Warner, it is an honor. My guys here can vouch for me. I was nervous before this one. No I, was, way, I don't get starstruck, but, but now, now that I've, now that I've talked to you, yeah, you're not a very good star. Well, you're a good, I'm great, a crappy, you're I'm a crappy, crappy star, star, man. I mean, Karen always says, look uh, at you're slump, slouching over. Oh, yeah. Uh, hey, you're great, Flint. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, uh, buddy. And that movie, was it the movie's Our Man Flint? Was that the movie? You're uh, Our Man Flint, so, you yeah, know. You're so in like Flint. You probably heard all those. Was, heard it, was that James Colburn? I, I might have been. I always, you know, that's always my pickup line. Well, not always. I don't According know. According to. But, yeah. According to Flint, but like to the late Flint and they say Flint. Oh, yeah. Man. Like, let me start a fire in your life. Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. There we go. We it. can do this. All. Steve, we can be going all day. Uh, and we uh, will. We'll pick it up. Yeah. Steve. Thanks buddy. I appreciate thanks, it. Flint. Steve Warner. Really enjoyed being with you, man. Thank you. Bye-bye.